Hi, and thank you for tuning in to the Fireside Church Podcast. Fireside is a new church on the North Shore of Massachusetts. Our mission is to love God, love others, and help others do the same. For more information, check us out at firesidechurch.org. Overtaken my enemies, you have uprooted their cities, even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord who know your name, those who know your name trust in you for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Lord, we come knowing that you, Lord, have already had triumph in our lives and victory on the cross, Lord. And we take refuge in your name and we go fighting our battles in the name of the living God as we live for you, God, on earth. So, Lord, give us that peace that only you can give us. Lord, speak to us this morning. We praise your name, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. Welcome, everybody. Um, my name's Andy. Um, my wife and I, we co-lead, and Kate is not here um, right now. She's actually with our daughter, Ellie, at Boston Children. So, for those of you who know, my, my daughter has been struggling and battling cancer for about two years, and relapsed in June and is now um, going through relapse treatment. So she's pregnant, and so I am doing most of the hospital stay. So this morning, she picked me up around 7.30, and then I scooted down here, and I'll go back later this afternoon. And so that's just give you a little bit of a, a taste of what we're going through. But I believe that, you know, one word that God has, I feel like, been speaking to me lately is the word season. That this is a season that we're in, and this is a season that we're in for Fireside. We just launched, um, we're restarting our fall stuff. We had a two-week break, and if you look at the floors, you can see why. They've been waxing here in the gym. And so we are back here, and we're going to be back here, you know, for a while. Hopefully, who knows? Um, But you can count us being here consistently. And we're in a new series called David's Response. And so that psalm that I just read is a psalm that was written by David when he had just triumphed over Philistines. Possibly Goliath or possibly uh, just a battle in his many years as king of Israel. And so what we're looking at is we're looking at how does David respond to certain things in his life. And I don't know about you or where you are right now, but if you're going if you feel like you're camped in a valley right now and there's giants facing, this is a sermon for you. And I'm just so thankful that I get to share what God has been speaking this week because it's been a rough week. I've been in the hospital most of the week. And so this Bible, God's word, has encouraged me and strengthened me. And so I'm hoping that this does the same for you. As you go out and leave here facing your giants, hopefully you'll come away with some tools and an understanding of how big our God is. So I just want to kind of get you up to speed with David. I don't want to assume anyone knows David, but David was the second king of Israel. So Israel was God's people. They're the ones who crossed the Red Sea, and they went into this, this area, and they were being led by judges and by prophets. So God would speak to people, and people would speak to people. And that's how God reigned and ruled. And so finally these people said, hey, you know, we're looking around at all these other countries, and they have these kings. We want a king. Have you ever been in a place where you're comparing your life with others? 
Well, look how good they have it. You know, you may be on Instagram and look how great their vacation was. And so they start desiring what other people have. And so Samuel, the prophet who God was speaking to Samuel, was like, what are you guys doing? Don't you realize that God is your king? You don't need a worldly king. You need a heaven king. But they kept on being um, persuasive. And finally, Samuel was like, all right, God has allowed you to have a king. And they found Saul, who is... uh, a guy, a big, rough warrior from the uh, tribe of Benjamin. And so he had met all the worldly characteristics of a king. And so Saul became the king. But then what happened was Saul, like many of us, with power, we start believing that we are doing things, not God. And so God's spirit left him, and a spirit came to torment him. And so Saul was finally rejected by God. And so Samuel went out and find a new king, and God says, go to a town called Bethlehem. Sound familiar? Bethlehem. And there is a man named Jesse, and he's got sons, and one of his sons will be the king. And so he takes six of his sons, who are all the oldest, and in those times, the oldest usually would be the most um, likely to have the most fame or inherit the inheritance. And so they're their, you know, pride and joy, and he said, no, not this one, not this one. And, he, and Samuel said, God hasn't spoken to me about any of them. And so do you have anyone else? He's like, well, we have this little boy. He's a shepherd named David. Well, bring him to me. And David comes, and Samuel says, this is the one that will be king. This is the one that our Savior Jesus will come from. This is the one, this little boy, this unlikely hero I'm going to use to change the world. And the Spirit came upon David, and David was with living for God and as Saul is being tormented, he, someone suggested, hey, what if you have music? And if you guys feel like you're being tormented. So someone says, well, why don't you listen to worship? And so he's like, all right, well, bring worship. And they said, we know this little person named uh, David who's a harpist. So they go out and they find David. And they say, the Lord is with him. So David comes. And when David would play the harp, Saul would feel better. And then the Philistines came. And there are these border towns. And they're, they're, they're fighting And Saul goes out, and they're fighting these Philistines, and David comes on scene. And David sees that there's this giant Goliath that comes out every day tormenting them, and he tells them, who will fight me? Who will fight me? Who will fight me? Because they're at a gridlock. Israelites are on one hill, and the Philistines are on another hill. And if you know anything about war, which I do not know... But you do, if you have the upper hand in a better location, you do not be attacked because you will easily defeat your enemies because you'll see them coming. So they're at a gridlock. And so one of the ways to get over this gridlock is you send your best, I'll send our best, and we'll do battle. And whoever wins, the others will submit to. And so they're at a gridlock. And so David goes out and he hears Goliath out there. And and he goes out to give his brothers food. He hears Goliath. And this is where we're going to pick up. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. And this is where we're going to pick up in in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephes Damon between Sokah and Ezgah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. The height was nine feet tall. 
He had a bronze helmet in his hand, and he wore a coat of scale of armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and bronze javelin. His slung was on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighted 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead, basically Goliath was a nasty dude. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out of the line and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our armies our subjects and serve us. And the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and his Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I love this image of being camped in the valley, and I believe many of us are feeling like we're camped in the valley. And if you feel like that, this sermon is for you that you are camped in a valley and you're at a gridlock and you have no way out. And there are giants in your life that are facing you, that are taunting you. And many of you guys know our story, but we are definitely camped out in the valley. Last week, we got four phone calls in a row. One was about Ellie. We had to schedule an eye appointment because her eyes are being damaged from the treatment and we don't know what's going on. To Ellie again, to set up her scan to see if this treatment's actually working. Three, another appointment for our other daughter's scan to see if there's anything growing on her brain. And then fourth, Kate is pregnant and she is low iron and needs to be infused with iron, so we need to set up an appointment. These happen all in within three hours, and I felt like there was this giants in our life tormenting us while we we're already camped in the valley. Have you been there? Have you been there? And so they're camped out in the valley. They're at a gridlock. And so how they would decide was not just a physical battle, but they truly believed in ancient warfare that the person who won that war represented the God it was fighting for. So it was not just a physical battle, but they believed it was a spiritual battle. And I think so many of us are thinking we're fighting physical battles when the reality is they're spiritual battles. That we're trying to do things with our own might and our own power and we're trying to figure out in a worldly way where to do, where to make sense of everything when the reality is it's bigger than that. It's a spiritual battle that we are representing God, the living God. And so David comes on scene. He sees Goliath. And he says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, for your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. When we look at this story, I think we marvel at the bravery of David. 
This little boy who sees a nine-foot giant, and he is willing to sacrifice his life for the good of his kingdom. But when I see this, I see more of a bravery in Saul. Why would Saul allow a little harpist boy go represent his army and fight a battle that he is overwhelmingly the underdog. See, when I was a little boy, and guys, you may track girls, you're probably going to get lost here. Being a little boy, I would daydream about me being the hero. You guys can relate with me? I would sit, and I'm like, all right, if there's a terrorist coming, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like Jack Reacher. I'm going to be whatever these like, big superheroes, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm, I'm, I have no training, and they do, and it's going to be like, unbelievable. And at the end, I'm going to be the hero, and everyone's like, who are you? I'm like, I'm Andy Bauer, and then I just kind of walk off in the sunset. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You've done that before. And so you could see David, this little boy, seeing that and envisioning his dreams come true, and so he's like, you know what? I'm going to do this. You know, so Saul, what, what, what do you think? Maybe his voice cracks. Saul, maybe I can help. And Saul allows him to do it. Why would Saul allow David to fight on behalf of his nation? I think it's because David reminds Saul that the battle is not his, the battle is the Lord's. And I think many of you need that reminder. When you're fighting your giants right now, camped in the valley, the battle is not yours, the battle is God's. And sometimes we need a perspective change. Because David's like, what are you talking about, Saul? No one comes out against the living God and mocks us. God is on our side. He is for us. Even me, a little boy, can take him down. And he goes and fights him. And I think that that is the biggest picture. If you are in a physical battle, I want you to change your focus. And maybe it's more of a spiritual battle. I want you to get on your knees and pray and know that the Lord is with you and is fighting with you and for you and no matter how big the giant you're facing right now no matter how low the valley is God is with you and is able to defeat anything that stands in your way David's resume shows that he has done it before look what God has done in the past I was out strength by a lion but I beat it I was out strength by a bear that it beat him. Many of us got to look back in the past to see how God has equipped us for the future. Look at your past battles and your victories and see how God has brought you out and prepared you for this current one. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. Put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand, approached the Philistines. I believe that God has equipped you uniquely for your battle right now. That God right now has given you the tools, and it may not be tools that other people use, but God has equipped you uniquely to face your giants that you're currently facing. I think the world tries, this is what you do. When this happens, this is what you do. When your marriage gets tough, get a divorce. 
When this happens, do this. When this, and then you go back and forth. And what I think David's saying, like, no, no, I'm not, this is not how God has prepared me. I can't go out like this. You may think this is right. Maybe many of your warriors could fight, but I'm not used to this. I have slain my, my giants in the past with just a, a couple of stones. And I'll do it again. And God has uniquely positioned you. This last week I was actually mine the Dr. Seuss bag. We were at a um, stream. Have you guys ever been up to the White Mountains near Lincoln? Uh, and we were at that stream playing, and I was remembering the story. And I think these are the rocks that David kind of chose, five rocks like this. And he chose these rocks, and he chose five of them. And a lot of people ask, why did he choose five? And the reason why most people think is because that's as many as his pouch would handle. A lot of people say, well, they're pebbles, right? When you're a little boy or a girl, you're, you're using a slingshot, you're throwing little pebbles. That's what many of the stories are. But the reality is they're a little bit smaller than a baseball. And this can, you know, cause a lot of harm if it hits you in the right place. And so he chooses five. And why does he choose five when he trusts in the Lord to deliver them? He could have said, God, you know what? I'm just going to take one stone because, God, I trust in you so much. It's just going to be one and done. I'm going to slay you with just one stone. You know what? I'm not going to take anything. You're just going to go. You're going to trip on your sword, and you're going to fall on your sword, and you're going to kill yourself. I mean, you would marvel on that faith, right? Well, if you have faith, well, then why even prepare? But that's not how God works. See, God has given you unique abilities and prepared you for your unique battles in certain ways. So with that, he's like, I'm going to be fully equipped. I'm going to go in fully equipped as how God has equipped me to face my battle that I'm facing right now. And so he picks up five stones, and maybe he picks up each stone, and he remembers a time that God has delivered him in the past. The time where he slayed a lion, or a time he slayed a bear. And he remembers that, and it gives him confidence to fight his current giant. For maybe it's you, it's like, hey, I remember that time when I lost my job. And I had no clue what I was going to do next. We started going into financial ruins, and my confidence was shot. But God provided and gave me a victory, and he takes that rock and he puts it in his pouch. Or maybe it's a time where you had some kind of relationship issue. Maybe it's your marriage, or maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you thought, there's just no way God can save me from this broken relationship, from whatever it may be. But God has brought us through, and you have see the victory in that battle, and you put that in your pouch. Or maybe it's a death in your family. Or victory has to be redefined because maybe someone didn't save a loved one. And you thought, how am I going to make it through tomorrow without this person in my life? And victories are not always easy. And victories and battles, sometimes you come out with battle wounds. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't there. And then you look and but God gave me the strength to get through the next day and the next day, and the next day. And he provided that peace that only he could provide. Or maybe it's your own health issue. Maybe there's something in your life that you couldn't walk, or you're bedridden, your ailments were hurting you, and you were just so physically unable to do anything, and you're immobilized, or whatever it may be, but God somehow got you through that time 
and he had victory. Or maybe you're fighting a mental battle. Maybe it was anxiety or depression. And you say, I cannot get through the day because I am not good enough. That it was just overbearing you, that you felt like you couldn't even function, your anxiety, your burdens, whatever it may be. But you look back and say, you know what, that was a dark valley time. But guess what? God got me through. And you go out and you go in battle. And when David goes into battle, he goes with all these things, this confidence of what God has done in the past. And in verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing in health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, "Ah, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by the, his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And then David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the enemies of Israel whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you in my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear or anything of this world that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David goes in the name of the living God. But here's the kicker, and this is what I really want you to know, is before you go in the name of the living God, make sure that you are living for God. I think so many people, out of desperation, will be searching for God to help them get them out of the valley, but when they're on the peak, they ignore God and his presence in their life. David was with the Lord. The Lord was with David. He had a heart for God. We know that. Why do we know that? Why did they see David and say, hey, David, God is with David. We know that. Why? It's because of the way David lived his life. He lived his life living for God. It was shown by his actions. It was shown by who he was. And so he had built up a life reputation so he could go out and fight in the name of the living God because he has been living for God. So wherever you are right now, evaluate your life. Am I living for God? Am I taking the scriptures seriously? And am I looking at the scriptures and saying, hey, where can I get better at this? God, where is things in my life that you want me to improve on? What sin can I get rid of? What can I do better to love others and help me live for you better? So when giants come, you can say, I'm coming in the name of the living God. Why? Because I've been living for God and I've seen the victories that he's done. That's my prayer for this church. And that we are a community of believers who live for the God Almighty. So we can have life on earth abundantly and life in heaven eternally. And when battles come and they're coming, when you feel like you're camped in the valley, which some of you may be, go in the name of the living God because he has proven himself in the past. A couple months ago, my mom, who's here, 
she, it was my birthday, it was Father's Day, and it was the day after Ellie, we found out she had relapsed. So one of those situations where you're trying to be happy, but you're not. And so she handed me this, and this is the Bible. And this was my grandfather's Bible that he brought into him into World War II with. And so my mom said, hey, you know, your grandfather brought this into his battle. Take this with yours. And you think about it, he was a prisoner of war. He got shot down in Germany. He was in prison for a year and a half. And he had this Bible with him the whole entire time. And I believe it's a reminder that even though the worldly circumstances feel like him in the valley, God is bigger than anything and unfortunately, he didn't write into it. Maybe he had higher reverence in the Bible than I do because I write all over my Bible. So I don't know what he was thinking, but this is how we should be doing battle. We take who God is, what he's shown us to be, and the strength that he's provided, and we take it and we put it in our pocket, and we go fly into enemy territory. In the name of the living And when God delivers you, the glory is not yours or anything of the world. The glory is for God. So that all will know that there is a God. That's David's proclamation. It's not that I will defeat you so we can have a better life. I will defeat you so you will know how big and how true and how real our God is. Because if it's not, then what's the point? Live for God and fight in the name of the living God and give him the victory. As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David quickly ran toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone stank, sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapon in his own tents. The Philistines ran because not out of fear of the Israelite army, but they ran out of fear for the Lord. Because this battle was not supposed to end this way in a worldly way. It made no sense. Nine foot verse, maybe five foot something, who knows? A polished warrior versus a shepherd, it makes no sense. So obviously there's something bigger going on here. Obviously there's a God who's fighting for them and with them, and so they ran in fear. And as we close, I want to bring the, the band up. 
for our last song. And, and as we bring the band up and as we hear this last song, all this points to a bigger victory. This is the key. This is the, the key to all of this. Because, yeah, you know, it makes you feel good to see these underdog stories. That's why when you go on YouTube or Facebook and you see the underdog story, you feel good and all that. And David is that. But there's something bigger here. Because David takes the head of Goliath to Jerusalem. That makes no sense. Jerusalem was not even Israel territory. It was owned by the Jebusites, which was their enemy, Benjamin is where everyone, the capital is. So why did he take the head of Goliath to Jerusalem? David eventually, down the, the road, many years later, will conquer Jerusalem, will make Jerusalem the capital. But in this case, it makes no sense. Why Jerusalem? Maybe he brought it to scare his enemies away. Who knows why he brought it? But... I believe that there is an answer if you read forward. And in Matthew 27, the end of Jesus' life, as they're about to crucify him, it says this. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. This is what I believe is going on here, and this is what many scholars believe, and it just makes complete sense, is that he takes the... Head And he doesn't go into Jerusalem because Jews would not be associated with dead things. So he had to put it outside of Jerusalem. He puts it on a hill so that everybody will remember the victory that God has given them over the Philistines. And that hill, the skull, if you translate the Hebrew root Golgotha, it does not mean the skull. What Golgotha means is just a slang word for that hill that they called the skull. Golgotha sounds a lot alike like Goliath from Gath. And so what many people think is that hill is where Goliath's head reigned, the skull. And it was on that hill that if you've pushed fast a thousand years later, a cross was stuck in that same hill. And on that hill, Jesus, the Son of God, hung there to defeat death itself, to take away our sins for the greatest and the ultimate victory in the history of humankind. See, you may think that it's impressive that a little boy will take a giant out, but what's more impressive is God dying on a cross for you and for me. And a victory that the enemy did not want to happen. That the devil's like, look at the world and the direction that's going in, and they're thinking they're winning. And Jesus came, and not in a worldly way, he came meek and humbly, and he, and he come and he hang as a servant and died for us. And three days later, he arose, and by doing so, defeated death itself. The ultimate enemy on the earth defeats death and proclaims the ultimate victory on Calvary. And that is the hope that we live by. So if you're camped in a valley right now, just know that there is a God who has died on the cross for you and who's given you so much strength and power that you can go in the name of the living God knowing that he has died on the cross for you, that you should not fear death because he's defied death for you. Making the Goliath story something in the past, of a good hero story, but the story of Jesus is so much bigger. So when we hear this Psalm 23, 
a, a, another psalm that David wrote. So throughout his life, he would write these, song, these psalms. Some of them were poems. Some of them were songs. And when you hear this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And this is the key. He's saying this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because even though you walk through the valley of shadow of no death, God is with you. And he's for you. He's fighting with you. He has already claimed victory on the cross. And he's proven that by your past past victories that he has given you confidence to fight your current giants. So if you're looking for confidence, say, God, you know, you've delivered me from this and you're going to deliver me from that. And I don't know how that's going to, I don't know if it's going to be one stone, two stone, five stones, or an army. I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord. And I don't even know what, what that looks like. But I do know one thing, God. You've defeated death. And for that, I go in fighting with that hope and living God now so I can go in the name of the living God and the giants come at me. Lord, we just thank you for what you've done in our past. And we fall our knees, Lord, saying, God, just give us the strength to get through whatever giant's facing us. And Lord, let us pick up camp and just carry ourselves out of the valley, Lord, so that your name will be praised, that you will be glorified. It's not the world that we trust in, but it's you, Jesus. You defy the odds. And Lord, thank you for the ultimate victory on the cross. Lord, never let us forget what you've done for all of us who accept the precious gift of your son. And it's in your name we pray.